tonight on Ithaca Now. New York State now has mandatory paid family leave, but teachers and nonprofit workers are left out. We don't know where that came from. It's not in, there's no language about it in the original law. There's no language about it in the original regulations. Sunnyside Farms is one local farm using renewable energy, but there are some barriers that prevent renewable energy from spreading. The price of making milk by the farmer has been higher than the price that they can pay for the milk. So farms don't have any money to invest really in anything right now. They're just trying to survive. Mark Bray, the writer of the anti-fascist handbook, visited Ithaca College on Thursday. Well, I, I think that universities should do what they can to push back against the notion that free speech ought to be interpreted in such a way that the university gives a platform to white supremacists. And we spoke with Brett Bozzard of local nonprofit and movie theater Cinemopolis. One thing that is really powerful about the art of film, it's, it's one of the most accessible art forms in the world. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Sarah Habakowitz, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, we'll be talking with Brett Bosser, the executive director of Cinemopolis. He sat down to discuss the history of the theater and some of their current programs. But first, we'll turn to Benjamin Laufer and Julia Vinuevuela in this week's Community Beat. Community bookstore Buffalo Street Books could be closing due to declining sales throughout the years. Its executive board called for an emergency meeting to re-strategize the co-op's business plan. Buffalo Street Books is a popular destination for its events, classroom book deliveries, and textbook buybacks. The emergency owners meeting is open to the public on Thursday, October 12th at 7 p.m. Racial tensions continuing to rise on the Cornell University campus after a racial slur was displayed at a house dinner last Sunday night. Students at the Carl Becker House were anonymously posting responses to various questions by text, with many responses being projected on screen for an audience of over 100. This is now the third incident of racial discrimination on Cornell's campus this academic year alone. 23rd Congressional District Representative Tom Reed will be met with a unique challenger next year. Ian Golden is running 450 miles on foot across 11 counties to launch his run for Congress. Golden is the owner of running-related businesses in Ithaca, and he hopes to gain community insight from his tour. Two overdoses were reported 10 minutes apart on Tuesday night in Ithaca. The first overdose was at an apartment on South Plain Street at 8.10 p.m. The second was at 8.19 across the street. Both overdose victims were taken in an ambulance, where the second victim was given the drug Narcan to reverse the effects. Popular deep-dish pizza and music venue, The Nines, could be seeing its demolition. College town developer Todd Fox of Visum Development wants to replace the century-old firehouse with a six-story apartment building. The development is raising concerns as Ithaca's Planning and Development Board suggests making additions to the firehouse or seeking an alternative location. The Nines is one of the last remnants of four historical buildings in College Town. 34-year-old Nicholas Benedum was sentenced Friday morning for robbing $39,000 last year from the Cornell University store. Benedum had access to the store when he was the assistant manager. He pleaded guilty to larceny and was given three years of probation by Tompkins County Court. For Benjamin Laufer, I'm Julia Villanueva, WICB News.
A new policy surrounding the paid family leave for New York employees is set to begin this winter. Correspondents Hannah Bracinger and Bridget Bright report on how this new law would come into play. Skip down to this next slide. It offers complete job protection. This past May, a nonprofit advocate group for paid family leave released a report containing some disturbing findings. The company, Paid Leave for the United States, or better known as PLUS, revealed a massive income gap and in accessibility to paid family leave in the U.S. Here are some of the highlights of that report. 94% of low-wage working people in the U.S. have no access to paid family leave. One in four new mothers in the U.S. are back at work just 10 days after childbirth. People who make more than $75,000 annually are twice as likely to get paid leave than people who make less than $30,000. And take this into account. At Starbucks, new mothers in corporate headquarters received 18 weeks of fully paid leave, and new fathers received 12 weeks. For in-store employees like baristas, or 97% of the company's total workforce, birth moms received only six weeks of paid leave, and fathers and adoptive parents received, you guessed it, none. Plus's conclusion, the people who need paid family leave the most are the least likely to have it. But there are other limitations with paid family leave in the U.S. We are one of the only countries in the world that doesn't offer it on a federal level. And many companies who do offer family leave don't pay and only offer it to full-time employees, biological parents, or documented U.S. citizens. But this is all changing in New York. Recently, the state enacted a new paid family leave policy that will start in January of 2018. New York is now one of only four states that is offering this in the U.S., a huge milestone for all workers who need this paid leave. The Contingent Faculty Union at Ithaca College was one of the many groups fighting for paid leave. On Friday, they held an informational meeting at the college. We talked to Rachel Fomalhalt, who's a part-time faculty member at Ithaca College and the chair of the Contingent Faculty yeah, Union. Um, so paid family leave is basically what it sounds like when you need to take leave in order to care for uh, somebody in your family, whether that's a seriously ill close relative or if it's a new child to your family through birth or adoption, or in order to relieve pressure on your whole family uh, because somebody in the family has been called up to uh, active military duty, um, you have a right under this new law, if you're a private sector worker, um, and even if you're a public sector worker, your employer can actually opt you into this law, you have a right to get some of your pay um, that you would normally get. Because what this state policy does and what advocates of paid leave are fighting for is inclusivity. It's extended to part-time workers, adoptive and foster parents, including LGBT parents, and workers who may not have U.S. citizenship or immigration status. The law isn't perfect, though, especially for many members of the Ithaca community. Late this summer, the law was amended to exclude teachers, educators, and other professionals working for nonprofits. We don't know where that came from. It was not in the intentions of the law creators themselves, of the legislators. It's not in, there's no language about it in the original law. There's no language about it in the original regulations. And actually, the original regulations specifically make sure that semester breaks won't mess with somebody's eligibility for the law, which makes us think that they had teachers in mind and other workers who work at educational institutions. So the fact that later on there was this amendment just carving all teachers and other professionals at educational institutions and at nonprofits out, we just really don't know where it comes from. It doesn't come from the legislators themselves. Um, it's coming from the workers' comp board, and we don't know what 
what prompted it at all. This brought a call to action for Rachel and other members of Ithaca College's Contingent Faculty Union. At Friday's meeting, their main goal was to let faculty members know that they can be covered by the law if they press the administration to opt into the program. Any teachers are not mandated to be covered. So what we have to do now is, you know, let the IC administration know it's really important to IC workers and to IC families that you actually let us opt in. For the employer, it's really no extra, like, skin off their back to implement this. The costs are 100% employee funded, and the employer already has the infrastructure to do this. They should already have a way that they're providing temporary disability insurance, which is what this law um, logistically operates on. It's no cost to them, and um, it would be a huge benefit to all of our communities. Because of the amendment, no teachers in the state are directly included for paid family leave, unless opted in by the employer. And Rachel says this is a big issue locally and on a global scale. The majority of people who work in teaching, teaching has become, in a lot of ways, a woman's profession, right, over the decades. And a lot of the people who work in nonprofit service work are also women. Women are the ones who are super, super, particularly overdue for the benefits of this law, and particularly low-wage working women. And that's because dependency care in our society has traditionally and conventionally fallen to women. The fact that teachers and nonprofit workers have now been recently carved out of the mandate for the law, I think is terribly and awfully ironic, considering that the majority of those workers are women and that they are majority underpaid precisely because those are women-dominated fields. The Contingent Faculty Union is starting to address this issue at Ithaca College. Rachel says that other people can get involved by joining organizations like Students for Labor Action, and she wants any professional affected by this legislation to reach out to their administration. Even if you don't see a personal stake in this, I think it is important to recognize the political stake that we all have in this, to care for our families and to make sure that women are getting what we have deserved for many decades. It's also important right now that we all reach out to our own employers and let them know this is really important to us uh, to have this leave. It's important to our families. It's important to our communities. And that's why they should opt in to make sure that all of their employees are covered, including teachers. For Hannah Bracinger, I'm Bridget Bright, WICB News. Dartmouth scholar and author of Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, visited Ithaca College this past Thursday to comment on the issue of hate speech at college campuses. Correspondent Salisa Kalakal and Harrison Malkin report. Those chants are from protests at the University of California, Berkeley, earlier this year. Milo Yiannopoulos is a right-wing provocateur and a writer for Breitbart, and he caused these demonstrations by visiting Berkeley. The protests sparked intense debate between the right and the left over freedom of speech, especially on college campuses. And if you're not totally caught up on the issue, here are the sides. The right believes protesting controversial speakers like Milo violates free speech and the First Amendment. On the other hand, the left usually believes that speakers like him do not deserve a platform on college campuses to spread hate speech. Mark Bray is a visiting scholar at Dartmouth College and the author of Antifa, the anti-fascist handbook. He's an expert on the leftist argument, and he seemingly identifies with it himself. He believes speakers in and around the alt-right do not hold the right to speak on college campuses. To clarify, the alt-right is a broad term that encompasses extremist conservatism, 
Bray visited Clinging Stone Lounge at Ithaca College on Thursday and talked about this issue. Well, I, I think that universities should do what they can to push back against the notion that free speech ought to be interpreted in such a way that the university gives a platform to white supremacists or people who want to dehumanize certain portions of the university population. And administrators and faculty will, as a whole, participate in the historical process and determine where these lines are drawn, and, and it's always a messy process. Okay, let's back up for a second. You might have heard the term Antifa being thrown around recently, from Charlottesville to UC Berkeley, and it's not without cause. So, for those who don't know, Antifa is short for anti-fascist, and it advocates militant opposition to fascism. Bray's talk was met with some resistance from members of the community. Caleb Slater, president of IC Republicans, was concerned that Bray would promote violence upon his visit. And should Mr. Bray advocate the use of violence, the administration will strongly oppose said violence. This may seem like an exaggeration, since Bray didn't actually call for violence during his talk. But the president of Dartmouth College denounced Bray in August for what he saw as inciting violent protests. This created a new public image for Bray. And on Meet the Press, he stressed that fascism cannot be defeated through speech. His visit to the college opens up a slew of questions that have been debated on university campuses. For one, how should controversial speakers such as Yiannopoulos be treated at colleges? Should they be given a platform? And what responsibility, if any, do universities have in protecting their students from potentially hateful speech? It's a crucial topic, how to confront fascism today. That was Jeff Cohen, the director of the Park Center for Independent Media, which was one of the co-sponsors of Bray's event. A few attendees at the talk had varying opinions on the subject, but most, including Andrew Thompson, a sociology professor at the college, believes that far-right figures deserve no platform on college campuses. We value reason. We value uh, historical analysis. We value scrutiny. And when you have political positions that are based on falsifications and mythological reasoning, you should expect that they will have no place on a college campus. The topic of hate speech and violence has hit the Ithaca area, with three alleged hate incidents affecting the Cornell student body. Students at Bray's event said that hate speech shouldn't be protected by the First Amendment, and it should be punishable in some way. This isn't unusual. A Brookings Institute study found that 44% of college students responded no when asked if the First Amendment protects hate speech. Although it's important to understand what people like, why people are compelled to say these kind of you know, the extreme, the alt right are saying these kind of things, the history of that in order to oppose it, I don't think that means we need to, I don't think we should create spaces that empowers that voice. That was Sarah Palmer, a Cornell student who enjoyed the event. Her friend, Dara Kenchester, agreed and believes hate speech should be punished in some form. Like hate speech in that case and like pairing with like a violent act was like, it was violent. Should totally be prosecuted. So, as you can tell, this is a pretty heated topic. And with members of the alt-right openly holding protests and rallies across the U.S., this issue will not disappear anytime soon. Looking ahead, it's just a matter of what action colleges and universities will take to address the issues that are bound to impact their own campuses. For Harrison Malkin, I'm Salisa Kalakal, WICB News. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from Brett Bozard, the executive director of Cinemopolis. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. 
Hello, my name's Jackie. I'm a senior lab technician, college student, and a volunteer firefighter in Tompkins County. Real people, real heroes. All Tompkins County Fire Departments outside of Ithaca are staffed 100% by volunteers. To find out how you can join and train to be a firefighter, an emergency medical technician, or support staff, contact your local fire station or go to volunteertompkins.org. A message from the volunteer fire departments of Tompkins County. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Sarah Backwitz. We sat down with Cinemopolis Executive Director Brett Bossard to learn about the history of the theater as well as find out what's happening now. Thank you so much for coming to the studio today. My pleasure. First, to start off, could you just uh, introduce yourself and talk about your role in, uh, at Cinemopolis? Sure. Uh, my name is Brett Bossard. I am the executive director of Cinemopolis. We are a, a nonprofit media arts organization that happens to run a first-run movie theater in downtown Ithaca with five screens. Um, I'm an alum. I went to the Park School myself, graduated in 95, and returned to Ithaca, I guess now it's been about 14 years ago, and have been in love with the arts community here for that entire time, working mostly in the arts since I returned to town. And uh, Cinemopolis is this you know, amazing treasure that we have in a community this size to have five screens of, of art house independent movie theater is, is, is really unique, I think. I mean, it's been there for, now we're entering our, well, we finished our third decade uh, last year. In November of, of uh, 1986 is when it was opened by Lynn Cohen and Rich Zanyi as a, as a for-profit. They, they opened it as sort of a, a mom-and-pop art house cinema with a single screen in the basement of, uh, of Center Ithaca. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, I was going to ask, uh, so the theater, you said it was founded uh, just over three decades ago. Mm-hmm, 1986, yeah. Can you tell me more about the story of why and how it was founded? In yeah, well, uh, you know, um, Lynn and Rich are still around. They're retired from the organization, but they, uh, they, they live down in Spencer and come to the movies pretty much every, every week. Um, they moved here from Santa Fe. They actually owned a, an art house out there and sold it had decided to come and, and get out of the movie business, and they were only in in town, I think, for two years before the bug bit them again. And so well, they realized, especially at that time, 1986, the the, uh, the world of exhibition was a little different. You know, people had VCRs, but the, the video sort of assault on, on cinema hadn't really happened yet. And so they wanted to open up a place that would show international films and that's what a lot of their you know their um the first film they ever screened at cinemopolis was ron by kurosawa so there was a there was a desire there was definitely a demand for it and so very quickly expanded from one screen to two in that space which is now the the studio that's uh that i see runs in, right, in yeah. the basement center that was the original cinemopolis uh, okay awesome location and uh from there it just sort of uh blossomed you know uh they ended up uh, buying out Fall Creek Pictures, which was another small um, three-screen movie house that was in the Fall Creek neighborhood, hence the name. Uh, and it's uh, still, the building's still there. It's next to North Star Public House. It's um, the restaurant there. It's now, there's a Pilates studio and some other things in that building, but, um, but that structure is still there. And so there were, at one point, they were operating five screens spread across town, um, showing almost exclusively first run. You know, it was uh, there are a lot of art houses that that dabble in in what we call rep programming, repertory programming. But it's it's Cinemopolis has been by and large showing the current art house fair pretty much since its inception. My knowledge of Cinemopolis would be thinking of it as a movie theater. Yeah. And could you talk about I guess the dynamic of that and what 
what Cinemopolis, um, I guess, like goal, what its goals are as an, a nonprofit, and and how it goes about, I mm-hmm. guess, doing that for the community. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we're we're one of, I would say, a, a growing cohort of sort of mission-focused movie theaters that um, there's a, an annual conference called the Art House Convergence that has been meeting now for the last 10 years. Um, and I've been able to attend for the last four of those. And it's, uh, you know, it's really focused on, and we are focused on making sure that, you know, first and foremost, the cinematic experience is preserved so that, that people are still in- encouraged to have that communal interaction with members of the community, strangers, relatives, friends, with film in a, a theatrical environment, which is something that could e- easily be lost when we have screens literally everywhere we go all the time, um, and great content to put on those screens. So I think that's one of the one of the reasons why we have this sort of uh, mission-focused um, theater. But uh, you know, I think one thing that is really powerful about the art of film it's it's one of the most accessible art forms in the world. I mean, I think everybody has. Uh, there's a very low threshold, a point of entry for people to engage with a film as opposed to maybe a fine art in a museum or, uh, or, or elsewhere, you know, sculpture and things like that and, and, and contemporary art, in, in its, uh, which is great, but I do think it's not necessarily as accessible to a broad audience as film is. And so with that, accessibility comes a great deal of power um, to help bring about change, to help uh, bring about... Um, community awareness on issues that may or may, may not be at the forefront, and film is something that can really help boost that. So, we try as much as we can to to partner with other nonprofits um, whose missions align with ours and with the content of films that are available, and and showcase the space as a as a community center that that happens to use the art of film to to bring people together. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely had not, um, I guess, heard like film broken down like that. That's interesting. Um, so I guess could you speak about uh, what kind of influence um, you, you've seen to have uh, on Ithaca specifically, and if there's, uh, I guess, anything about the city that you think lends itself really well to this kind of uh, establishment and, like, the nonprofit work you do mm-hmm. as well as the, um, basically everything you just talked about. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly having a student passion and people who are plugged into um, cinema and more more artistic-oriented, artistically-oriented cinema helps a lot. I mean, like I said, we opened in 86, and I certainly spent a lot of time at Cinemopolis when I was a student at Ithaca College. It was certainly a great resource to see films that you couldn't see sometimes anywhere else within 100 miles, you know, and that's, that is one of the key points of, of us being a nonprofit is that we are providing that kind of service to the community, that we're providing access to film in a way that um, isn't available in a, in a pretty broad geographic range. Um, and I do think that... This community, well, I mean, this is a community that values the arts, and I think that's something that is that can't be understated. One, one story I like to tell uh, is if you look at our where we are now, people still call it the new Cinemopolis. We've been there for eight years in the, in, under the parking garage there on Green Street. But um, that project was being funded through almost entirely through local donations, uh, some support from the New York State Council on the Arts and, and support from uh, from state government. But pr- for the most part, it was individuals in the community that really valued having this, this resource and wanted to give money to make it happen. And simultaneously, that ha- was this was in 2008, you know, the height of the, the Great Recession. And the Cinemopolis capital campaign and project was, was ongoing. 
the Kitchen Theater was in the middle of their capital campaign to rebuild their site where they are on State Street. And the Hangar Theater was also doing their winterization project. So, you know, it, during the Great Recession, this community was found the resources to invest more than $5 million in arts organizations. I think that says a lot about w- what's unique about Ithaca and this, and this area and why it is that we have these great artistic resources uh, here and among the gorges. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Brett Bossard. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm a freshman in college. I wrestle, and I'm a volunteer firefighter in Tompkins County. Real people, real heroes. All Tompkins County Fire Departments outside of Ithaca are staffed 100% by volunteers. To find out how you can join and train to be a firefighter, an emergency medical technician, or support staff, contact your local fire station or go to volunteertompkins.org. A message from the Volunteer Fire Departments of Tompkins County. Want to hear more female artists on the Station for Innovation? Tune in to Eve Out Loud to hear a variety of female-fronted music. Sunday nights at 8 on 92 WICV. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're sitting down with Brett Bossard of Cinemopolis to learn more about Cinemopolis's film festivals and other programs. Yeah, so I guess uh, if we could transition to talking about, I guess, uh, more of like the... Uh, I guess current things going on. So um, the Cultura Film Festival mm-hmm. is happening um, uh, right now. It started on September nineteenth, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And then c- I guess could you talk about uh, what that film festival is and what Cinemopolis's role in it is? Mm-hmm. And I guess if you wanted to uh, talk about also how it's changed over the years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess this is the fourth year now for Cinecon uh, Cultura, and it really came to us. Um, as the as the idea of Carolina Osorio Gill, who's the um, who's the director of, of Cultura, which is a, a Latin American cultural organization that has sort of a foot in the uh, Latino Civic Association of Tompkins County, as well as on campus up at Cornell, and so um, it's got these you know linkages between the campuses and and the community, and uh, you know we had been doing more and more of of the kinds of screenings with other no- local nonprofits that I mentioned earlier, and Carolina really wanted to see if there was room to, to do this kind of more of a, a more established long-term series of screenings throughout La- Latin American Heritage uh, Month, which runs between from mid-September mid to mid-October. And so we worked together in the first year, and it, you know, it was a huge success. And ever since, they've just been building further connections with both Ithaca College campus, Cornell campus, and and, uh, and other groups within the community like uh, GIAC and the Southside Community Center. So now this year, we're showing, I think, six screenings at Cinemopolis, but the festival has uh, 12 events, 12 screenings, plus other events happening all, all around town. So it's, it's really it's a great success story for them and for us. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. What are the uh, kind of films that get shown? Like, where do they come from? All over uh, Latin America. So, uh, you know, we've got this this year, I know there's uh, Guatemalan, uh, Brazilian, I think an Argentinian film, uh, one or two from Mexico, uh, as well as uh, in the past there have been Spanish language films that were produced here in the States. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, could you talk a little bit about what sort of action or impact, uh, besides the fact of just providing this um, mm-hmm. 
as part of the uh, Latino Heritage Month. Uh, what kind of impact you, uh, Cinemopolis and the organization, hopes that this uh, festival will have or has seen it have in the past? Well, you know, it's it's a great way, again, to, to bring members of the community into Cinemopolis that might not otherwise know that it's there. Um, so it's really a, a showcase of this, this great resource we have. And on the flip side, I think, I hope anyway, uh, it's introducing different ideas, different cultures into uh, into the Ithaca community. So hopefully we're both benefiting from having content in front of in front of eyes that that might not otherwise have 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 seen it so uh, i know the attendance has been really strong the first three years of the festival and it's been a mix of people that were already connected to the organization through campus connections or otherwise and what i would consider sort of a general audience who um, who've come to the theater regularly see the films that we show and found out about this festival and really wanted to delve into cinema from a different country and see what the challenges and, and differences are for filmmakers working, um, you know, in places other than the United States. Okay. Um, okay, so I guess I wanted to also uh, talk about uh, the Finger Lakes Environmental Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you talk a little bit about what that is and uh, kind of the same with the other festival, like what's in Robbie's role? Is sure, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, we've been partnering with, with FLEF for, well, I think, 15 years. Um so since the earliest days of when when the festival, which is now twenty years old, um, started to have its uh, its roots here on campus at Ithaca College, I know um, the direct co-directors Tom Chevry and uh, Patty Zimmerman um, are supporters of Cinemopolis themselves. Obviously, but they both have have been or are currently on our board and work really closely with me in plotting out how the festival will take place. Um, downtown because they obviously the, the festival has screenings here on campus as well but uh so i mean i th- i consider it a partnership in a lot of ways i mean so the the programmatic decisions are being made by tom and patty but i think the the logistics of how you get films from all over the world uh sandwiched into a relatively small amount of time during the week that it's at cinemopolis using the screens that we have has been um has been a great partnership between between us to to make it all happen and it's it's a it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to show films from primarily international cinema they they do have uh films that are being produced here in in the united states but primarily it's it's uh it's a lot of international cinema and so while there's a requirement sort of to get those kinds of films that you have a theatrical venue to to screen them so that they wouldn't be allowed or available to to screen on campus so i think there's a you know, we give something there, and that we have this this uh, established theatrical venue, uh, and what we get in return is is just these, these marvelous films that might not otherwise have been programmed at Cinemopolis. So we're really providing our regular customers and festival goers with this chance to see films about uh, social justice and environmental issues, both nonfiction and narrative cinema, in um, in this great festival um, environment that that uh, well an environmental film festival environment um, that is uh, you know unparalleled really I think it's they they do a remarkable job of programming some really interesting films wow that's awesome yeah. um, I guess so I mean it seems like there's some amazing things going on in Cinemopolis and I've definitely heard of a lot of things that I haven't talked about like yeah. the, uh, the partnership with the um, the Ithaca Shakespeare 
Oh yeah, that's that's just starting. Um, yeah, so I mean, anything from that to whatever you think is interesting that I haven't asked about, I'd love to hear. Sure, that. sure. Yeah, well, right. We just started this new series with uh, with Ithaca Shakespeare Company. We're calling it Shakespeare the Rest of the Year because the Shakespeare Company primarily does their performances in the summer. Um, this year they were at the uh, Treeman Marina Park um, near Cass Park near the Hangar Theater. And uh, their executive director, Gary Reinbolt, and I have known each other for a long time. And he decided he really wanted to do something to sort of, you know, spread their shoulders a little bit and do some more programming that might be not necessarily a full production, but that could raise awareness about the work of Shakespeare and in a way that's fun. So that's what we're doing. We all understand that the the arts community in, in Tompkins County works best when we're working together to, to bring people into the arts world in some way or another. Wow. Uh, is there anything else that uh, you'd want to talk about that I haven't mentioned? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, cinemopolis.org is the website where there's always new showtimes, new programming, and uh, and special events that are coming up. We tend to have some kind of special event outside of our regular schedule of, of first-run movies every week, and this time of year it's usually two or three events a week uh, wow. on top of 125 movie screenings. That's great. And that's all we have for you on this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast app. Tune in next week for our story on methane digesters at local farms. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. Our station manager, Alex Bredkin. News Director Peter Champelli and our correspondents Benjamin Laufer, Julia Vino, Villanueva, Hannah Bracinger, Bridget Bright, Salisa Kalakal, Harrison Malkin, Amanda Chin, and Madison Fernandez. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week. I'm Sarah Backwitz, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.